1: So everybody right now, think about a box where you feel held back, where you feel like you're not making progress. And so maybe it's in your relationship, maybe it's in your body, maybe it's in your bank account, maybe it's in your learning. There's three forces that keep you in that box. The first dimension is your mindset. The second circle is your motivation. This is a big one. A lot of people associate motivation to motivational seminars where they get really excited and jump on chairs and they're like, oh, I'm going to exercise tomorrow. That's it. I'm going to quit my job. And they're quote-unquote motivated. But what they really are is just excited. And so that's not the motivation I'm talking about. I'm talking about sustainable motivation. So our questions, a lot of times, they, they are formed through our expectations of others, through our own experience, through events that happen in our life. And so a lot of what Limitless is is creating self-awareness because how are you going to make a change and a limit if you're not even aware that it exists?
0: How did you rise above that to realize, oh, I can improve this, I can change this? We've got Jim Quick once again on the podcast. Welcome, Jim. How are you doing?
1: So good to be back, James. Thank you, everybody who's listening and yeah, let's get limitless.
0: Yeah, Jim, you you wrote my my the, the ideal book like this I, I don't know if you named it after the movie, but the book's called Limitless. It's one of my all-time favorite movies also where basically Bradley Cooper takes this pill, this dream pill that's like it, it makes him super smart, he writes like a novel in a weekend, he becomes <laughs> a senator, he becomes a great investor, and you wrote a book kind of suggesting that these sort of capabilities are possible for any of us without the pill. And the book's called Limitless. It uh, subtitles: Upgrade Your Brain, Learn Anything Faster, and Unlock Your Exceptional Life by Jim Quick. And I like the blurb at the top. It's by Will Smith. Jim Quick knows how. To, Jim Quick knows how to get the maximum out of me as a human being. Will Smith. First off, I have to ask about that. What? <laughs> how did you run into Will Smith and get the most out of him? Well, he's um, a pretty amazing guy, right?
1: Yeah, he he certainly is. Um, you know, for me, uh, it's, it's uh, it happened through uh, good fortune, and, and and it, you know, I, I don't seek any of these individuals out. Uh, we were at an event together, and he asked if I wanted to uh, to grab dinner. So it was me and uh, Sir Ken Robinson and Simon Sinek. <laughs> wow. So So there's quite a, a brain trust, and we we connected, and then. Um, Shortly after that, he flew me to uh, Toronto to work on a superhero film that he was working on. And I help actors speed read scripts, memorize lines. He's an, an incredible performer, you know, in life and like on screen and off screen. And it was a real honor. I, always, I learned as much with these individuals as, as maybe even more than they, they, they learned from me.
0: Well, like and 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 obviously we're going to talk about limitless cuz mm-hmm. I want to unlock my brain's potential so I could be like that guy in the movie. But Will Smith strikes me as someone who has this outrageous over the top charisma. Like I I've never met him or seen him in person, but I imagine he's the type of person who walks into a room and everyone knows it.
1: Well, he certainly doesn't have to introduce himself um at all, but he has he has an energy for sure. I believe the life you live are the lessons you teach. And uh, I remember we spent the day together. He was shooting a night shoot for a suicide squad and shooting from 6 p.m. to 6 a.m. And everyone thinks that Hollywood is very glamorous, but it it is very, very not. It's, you know, that phrase, hurry up and wait. Yeah. But we had spent the entire day together in uh, Toronto and we were just brainstorming and geeking out over, over human potential and, We went through this exercise um, where we discovered, you know, you've read before, we talk about in the book that the average person has about 50,000 to 70,000 thoughts a day. And there's certain thoughts that they have more than others. And they come in the form of questions. And those questions determine your focus and your reality. And we found out that, um, you know, you have your dominant questions. You have dominant questions, questions you ask more than any other question. And we found out his was, how do I make this moment more magical? How do I make this moment more magical? And I believe questions really are the answer. If you read something and forget what you just read or you can't retain things, I feel like we're not asking enough questions because if you ask enough questions, you get enough answers. And, you know, we actually improved upon it because we asked a meta question, like, how do we make that question even, you know, more powerful? And he was like, well, let's make it, how do I make this moment even more magical? Just adding that word even presupposes the moment is already magical. And that's his you know, his thought process and if he's asking that all the time, he's getting answers all the time. And so, you know, I remember we were shooting at night, his family was there. I was Toronto in the winter time. It was freezing. It was like 2 AM and we're all like shivering and he starts, you know, we're, you know, we're just watching these screens and waiting for them to set up the next, uh, the next shoot. And he starts bringing everyone blankets and he makes hot chocolate for everybody. And he, he starts cracking jokes and telling stories, but he was living that dominant question. How do I make this moment even more magical? And um, yeah, he, he, he's known for his charisma. He's known for his, uh, you know, his, his, his sense of presence. And uh, I remember actually in a more recent movie that I was on set for, it's called Gemini Man. Where he's being hunted, he's the world's greatest assassin, and he's being hunted by somebody who's better than him. Hmm. And it's like you find out it's like a younger version of him. Oh, I remember the trailer for that. Yes, and we were um, actually in his uh, in his trailer. The two of us were having lunch, and I was asking him. He had just gotten on social media. He had just announced it, like maybe a week or two before, on uh, his Instagram account on Ellen. I think it was on the Ellen Show. And I asked him, like, why did you start social media after all this time? And he said, that Jim, you know, most of the time when people see me on screen, everything I'm saying is scripted, you know. And I have a lot more to say than somebody writing for me. And he wanted to have a voice and be creative and you know make these moments even more magical. And it was it was amazing. But just a reminder that you know we all have dominant questions. We all have a set of questions that we ask more than anything else. And Be conscious of it. And so, my question for everybody who's listening is What do you think your dominant question is? Because whatever it is, you're constantly focused on that. And because you're focused on it, it'll explain how you feel a lot of the times. It'll explain our behaviors. And also, what do you think the questions are of the people around you, like your spouse? You know, it'd be interesting to find out what their dominant question is because it would explain a lot of why they do what they do. You know, what do you think your The dominant questions of your teammates are, your children are.
0: Is is everybody's dominant question different? Or do you find a lot of people have a kind of blase one, like, how can I just make more money? Or (laughs) like, what what do you think? And how do you find your dominant question?
1: Yeah, I would say that, well, thinking, first of all, is the process of functionally, I think the process of thinking is asking and answering questions of yourself. And if somebody is going, saying to themselves, is that true? You notice you had to ask a question to think about it, and um, and so my question, for example, well, actually, let's let's go through how to how to do this. Let me give you another example. I have a friend, and we found out her dominant question, the question she asks all the time, is, "How do I get people to like me? How do I get more people to like me? How do I get this person to like me? Some iteration of being liked." And you don't know how old she is. You don't know what she looks like. You don't know where she lives. You don't know her job. You don't know. You know her state of health or her ethnicity, but you know a lot about her if somebody what's her personality like if she's asking all the time or what's her life like if she's asking? How do I get people to like me
0: and and given given that you find let's say let's say that was someone's dominant question and they realize that and they're unhappy with it. they realize that could lead to a lot of unhappiness. Mm-hmm. How do you go about well, I guess still, how do you go about finding your dominant question but yeah. then how do you go about switching it?
1: yeah. I would, well, I mean, just to extrapolate a little bit here, like, you know, you could suppose if she's asking herself, how do I get people to like me? Just so people see the impact is, you know, she martyrs herself all the time and she's always giving of herself. People take advantage of her all the time. Her personality shifts depending on who she's spending time with. It's like a chameleon because she's always getting that person to, you know, try to be like that person. So she's liked. Um, And so all these things, you know, about her and, you know, one question. And so, um, how do you discover your your dominant question? Well, most dominant questions come at some early age. You know, something in the environment usually sparks it. So for example, for me, I had a, you know, the head injury. We we've talked about this on your show in the past. When I was in um, when I was five years old in kindergarten, I had a bad fall and had a head trauma, a traumatic brain injury, and it led to a number of processing learning difficulties. And at the age of nine, someone pointed to me, a teacher said, "That's the boy with the broken brain," and you know that that label became my limit. Talk about being limitless when when you're thinking about what area. And when I'm talking about limitless, let me let me preface this: when I, you know, even my my teachers would have been surprised. I read a book, much less wrote this book. Um, that label put me in that box. And as we're talking about this conversation, I want people just to think about where they're in a box, where they're not making progress in their life, where they feel like they're being held back, where they feel like they're not advancing. And so for me, it was learning. That was a big issue for me because every single time I wasn't picked for sports or I did badly on a quiz, I would always say, oh, it's because I'm broken. And that became my limitation. But my dominant question was, how do I fix this? Because someone who's broken and looks at themselves as broken, you know, one of the obvious questions was, how do I fix this? How do I how do I make this better?
0: So, so a lot of people who who have such a limit, who are told all the time like that's the boy with the broken brain, they tend to believe it, and they yeah. tend to live their life because, like you said, you can you can excuse a lot of things. Oh, I got a bad test grade because I have a broken brain, or you know, forgive me for doing this. I'm a the kid mm-hmm. with the broken brain. How did you rise above that uh, to realize? Oh, I can improve this. I can change this.
1: Well, and we'll talk about the luminous model in this conversation and the three-part framework, but I, ha- I was highly motivated to change it. You know, I had uh, my parents immigrated here. My father was 13 years old. He didn't speak the language. He came here because he, his parents had both died, you know, and, you know, when he was 13 years old, a lot of poverty, a lot of a lot of challenges, and they couldn't afford to feed him. So he left, came here to the States, and uh, left his younger brother and sister behind, lived with his uh, aunt. If, and uh, his question has always been, how do I keep the family together? That, that, that was his thing. And so family, I grew up with this, the, this, these values of family is most important because though that, that experience that he went through at a young age, 13, shaped his thoughts right? And so he was always thinking, how do I keep the family together because he had lost his family? And uh, that became his dominant question. And so our our questions, a lot of times, they, they are formed through our expect- the expectations of others, through our own experience, through events that happen in our life. And one of the ways of identifying it, a number of ways, you could just be conscious and self-aware of your inner talk. First of all, notice that when you're in situations where your mind goes, you could be quiet and be silent. You could meditate, you could journal and see what those dominant thoughts are. And so a lot of what limitless is, is creating self-awareness because how are you going to make a change in a limit if you're not even aware that it exists? And I find that the big limits fall in three categories, but you're right. You can absolutely, first way of Understanding what yours is is to be aware of it, and so through some kind of process, either being tuned into your thoughts, uh, talk therapy with a therapist, journaling—you know—you'll see themes. Or
0: maybe to, to even um, a shortcut to that might be uh, tuned into your excuses. Mm. So if if someone says, "Well, why would you get a C on that test?" and you could say, "Well, I have a broken brain," or or why didn't you buy exactly. that for your house? Well, I don't have enough money uh you know you can start to see what your excuses are and and those are the you could decide whether they're the real hurdles or whether they're there are things that you can you or you could start with the assumption that all hurdles can be overcome and work back from
1: that i agree i agree completely in the book under mindset there're the three sections of the book three parts of the model and i identify these as lies that there are seven lies uh, to uh to to learning you know, because the book focuses on limits and the framework could be applied towards accelerated learning, or it could be a, a framework for unlocking our our true potential. And it sounds kind of grandiose, but when I walk through it, it's extremely practical, but you're right. First, first thing is to be aware of it. And these questions, just know that if you ask the question, why can't I lose this weight or why am I so stupid? You're going to set your, that part of your brain, the reticular activating system, RAS, towards that answer. And you're always going to find evidence to back that up. Mm. So if I'm asking like, why am I so stupid? I'll be like, oh, here's evidence. Here's some evidence. Here's some reason. And I always tell people who come to me all the time at events, they say, Jim, I have a horrible memory. I'm too old. I'm not smart enough. And I say, stop. If you fight for your limitations, you get to keep them. Dr. Daniel Amen, who's a a brain doctor here in the States, he's done over 175 brain scans. He calls them ants, ants, kill those ants, automatic negative thoughts. I always tell people that your brain is like this incredible supercomputer and your self-talk is a program that will run. So if you tell yourself, I'm not good at X, I'm not good at remembering names, you will not remember the name of the next person you meet because you program your supercomputer not to. And so to be mindful, uh, a lot of the onus on becoming limitless is having this fundamental belief that you and I have talked about that you are responsible, that, you know, maybe we are a product of our past and the people around us and everything that's happened to us, our circumstances up to this point, but we are in control and we are responsible for who we are today and who we are tomorrow. And, uh, and part of being responsible is be responsible, not only for our actions around other people, but also our action, our thoughts or our habitual thoughts, or our habitual emotions that we experience. But number one, own yourself. And you talk a lot about this and own your conversations. Like if you have these thoughts, know that we are the ones that are having these thoughts.
0: You know, uh, well, let me ask you a question. Like, like one time I was like dead broke and miserable and i i was saying to myself why has this always happened to me like why am i always going broke and 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 i thought i was smart and i would say like to myself i'm smart like why is this happening to me and my real only answer was i don't know and Mm -hmm. i think saying i don't know is also a good way to at at the very least not have an excuse because i didn't really know if i knew i wouldn't have gotten broke over and over again but if I said, oh, it's I'm just stupid or whatever, or right. I'm just bad with money or blah blah blah, then like you just said, I I would have established my limit. I think also allowing yourself to not know things about yourself is is a good way to 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 understand where the limits are or at least to, to open up the limitless possibility.
1: I agree. The um, you know, studies done on self-compassion state that that when you beat yourself up and you're hard on yourself for not working out that day or or eating some bad food that day or fill in the blank that people think that if they're hard on themselves and beat themselves up, you know, mentally, that they are more likely to follow through. But studies on self-compassion say the opposite, that when you're kind with yourself, when you say, Hey, I'm I'm human, you know, there are lots of stuff going on in the world and it's okay. Then you're more likely to follow through uh, in the future. But I, I, Think that we need to be conscious of our thoughts and responsible for them, and it's not easy. Nothing. I'm not saying this is easy. I'm just saying it's pretty straightforward, and it's that simple. But it's also that difficult to be aware of our thoughts and that thoughts, you know, could have an influence for on how, how we feel. If we're always thinking that we're not enough, or we're thinking, "Why am I always broke?" That you know, it's gonna. It, it can lead to plateaus, or it could lead to problems. At, at the best case, it's like the answer is I don't know. But what if we reformulated that question for how do I how do I grow my income and add value in the world? Then you're going to start getting a different quality of answer. Mm-hmm. How do I how do I add value in the world, get paid for it, and enjoy the process? You're going to come up with a different a different. You know, answer for that, and I would say that we could train ourselves, just like how those questions or those thoughts got there to begin with. We could introduce new thoughts, just like we could introduce new habits of doing. And you know, like let's say you don't floss. There's a process for just learning, getting a new habit of flossing. And we talk about you know creating and, and breaking habits in the in the book a lot because first you create your habits, and then your habits create you. But it's starting with, I own my thoughts, I am responsible for them and I could change it because if you don't have a belief that you could change it, then it's nice to be able to add some doubt in it. Like, you know, is that true? Is this, is, are the, is this currently, is this belief that I have the thing that, and it's not about so much, is it true or not? It's more like for me, is it, is it useful? Is this belief useful for me? Does it serve me?
0: I think that's, I think useful, not useful is a really good, you know, even practice. Like if, if, if listeners just try this for like five minutes, like what are some common things you, you believe to be true or things that you're angry about and just be open-minded, like asking yourself, is this a useful thought to think or a not useful thought? Like, will I grow from this or benefit from Mm -hmm. this or not? Just practice that a couple of minutes a day. And I think you get better at it. And, and until you realize later on when you're thinking
1: about something, oh, that's not useful. It, it, and it happens. You could use it throughout the day. I mean, you could do, you could write these questions down on your refrigerator or on your, on your phone and have alarms go off and just start training yourself. It's interesting on a total tangent, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of study on lucid dreaming and, uh, you know, this state, have you ever had a dream and you know that you're aware that you're dreaming? Yeah.
0: It's not so common for me, but I've definitely had it. Like then you can, it's sort of like this state you're almost, I feel like it happens when you're near to being awake but you're not awake and then you can do what you want in the dream.
1: Yeah, I believe that there's a, always a method behind magic. Like one of the seven lies to learning that I document and I talk about all of them, the big ones, like you only use 10% of your brain or intelligence is fixed or genius is born. You know, genius is born is, it's a you know, it's a complete lie. Certainly we have certain tendencies and traits but genius can be built also and so lucid dreaming there's a method behind the magic some people do it naturally and the benefits of lucid dreaming as i'm studying it just just introductory right now cuz i like to learn something you know new every you know every month or so i'm experimenting with it because um we'll spend about 20 years of our life Sleeping about three to five years dreaming and what if we could transform those three to five years of dreaming and become lucid And then you could actually use that time Where you're aware that you're dreaming to experiment to learn to face fears they're using lucid dreaming to let's say you're afraid of snakes and you could use a dream state when you know you're safe, but you could you know, train yourself to, um, to be more habitualized to whatever it is that you feared. So you could be, make it more comfortable. What,
0: what, what's the best way to trigger a lucid dream? And here's
1: the thing, going back to the power of questions, one of the ways of triggering a lucid dream is throughout the day, ask yourself this dominant question, is this a dream? Like a hundred times a day, ask yourself, is this a dream? Is this a dream? Is this a dream? Like, have you ever had the experience where you had to wake up early the next morning? Some, some you know, ridiculous time at four thirty to catch a flight or something, and you're thinking about it at night and you set your alarm and you end up waking up like one minute or two minutes right before the alarm goes off. yeah, isn't that amazing? I mean that, that's the power of the human mind. And what if you know for me, my nighttime rituals and in the book, I talk about my evening rituals, my morning rituals, because you know get yeah, first you create your habits and then your habits create you before I go to bed, I, I introduce a question that I just think about. I don't obsess about it because I don't. I want to fall asleep, but I just kind of, as I'm meditating, falling asleep, I ask myself a question that I want my mind just to, just to think about. And then I find with an amazing amount of accuracy um, yeah. that I actually spend some time on that because your brain doesn't shut off at night. And so if I'm asking myself throughout the day, is this a dream, is this a dream, is this a dream? This a dream? And then all of a sudden, the first time the answer is yes, then you're, you're in a lucid dream, right? And then you're aware of it and then you could, you know, use it to your, your, your advantage. Sometimes before I go to sleep, I'll ask myself a question that I'm just facing, you know, it's maybe a challenge or, or something I want to be able to solve or just uh, an adventure I want to take in my dreams. And that same power that makes somebody wake up almost minutes to the, the to the, 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 to wake up time on their alarm clock, they could use to be creative to come up with problems i mean we've talked about this in the past that you know a part of the book i talk about how to remember your dreams because when you research it you find that a lot of inventions and works of art and literature came from dream states. Like Mary Shelley came up with, you know, Frankenstein in a dream. A chemist came up with oh, I didn't know that. the that. yeah, chemist came up with the framework of the periodic table in his dream because they're just working all day and your brain doesn't shut off at night. If anything, it's more active. It's usually focused on the thing that was most dominant that day. So entrepreneurs that are focused on something or students that are, you know, learning all day. And when you're dreaming is when you consolidate short to long-term memory um, sleep, you know, re- you know, clean plaque that leads to brain aging challenges, but also you could come up with, you know, Paul McCartney came up with the song yesterday in his dream. Jack Nicholas was in a slump with his golf game. He was shooting like high seventies and he had this, he was obsessed about it. And in his dream, he actually uh, had a dream where he shifted his grip just slightly and he woke up just very inspired, this kind of eureka. And he went on the course and then shot mid sixties. I mean, did yeah. extremely well. And that's the power of our, of our dreams. But these are, this is an illustration again, if people truly understood how powerful their mind is, they, they, they be very careful with their thoughts. Not that you have one negative thought and it ruins your life any more than eating that one jelly donuts going to ruin your life, but consistently, you know, you know, you, you could, there's, it's not right or wrong. It's just like, Hey, are these thoughts serving me in this moment?
0: It's interesting to view thoughts as like a diet. Like what are you, you're consuming thoughts. And we are if you have wrong thoughts all the time, like, oh, I hate this person, or why is that person got more money than me, or blah, 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 that's what you're consuming. That's the thoughts you're feeding your mind. And it's not necessarily again,
1: you know, it's whether it's true or not. Is this is this are these compulsive or, or repetitive thoughts, are right. they serving me? Are they serving my goals and my outcomes, my the things that I want in life, or are they are they holding me back? And so if you're asking questions like why am I always broke or why am I never enough or you know and then i mean that's innovation innovation and creativity a lot of it is asking new questions it's like i read this book called uh, years ago called the structure of scientific revolution that said that a lot of the majority of innovation comes from people outside the industry um like it's an elon musk looking at the automotive industry because they ask a different question they ask a question like well, if I wanted to start, if I wanted to create a car with today's technology, not just incrementally, just based on the current, you know, way of doing it, how would I do it fresh? And then all of a sudden, you come up with a different answer. Like Peter Thiel's book Zero to One" is just—it's a, a whole bunch of set of frameworks and mental models and questions. As you know, if I had to reach my ten-year goal, but I only had six months to do it, what would I do? How would I do it? How would I go about doing it? Because you can't have like this incremental growth, you know, additive, additive in the book, he's talking about like going from one to two is just additive or two to three or three to four, but going from zero where there's nothing to one, where there is something you have to ask a new question. And so how do I, you know, whatever your outcome is, go back and engineer a question that serves you like for, for again, will was how do I make this moment even more magical? I mean, it was originally, how do I make this moment more magical? And then we were like, how do we make it better? How do we make this moment even more magical, I'm presuming it's already in a magical moment?
0: And 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 what's what's an example in your life where reframing the questions you were asking yourself kind of you know was a big change in your life? Yeah,
1: so be, uh, my initial question when I felt like I was broken going through school was how do I be uh, less noticeable? That was my dominant question because when you have learning challenges and you get called on once and you don't know the answer and you feel pain or fear, you're scared, You that formed a question like, how do I shrink down? How do I not be called on in class? You know, and it would re, it would totally, you know, as in elementary school, you know, dominate my behavior because I would sit behind, you know, the big kid in class. So I'd be, you know, shrinking down so I wouldn't be seen and called on. I would be always trying to think of the question, my question was how do I become invisible? You know, and I, it would affect everything in my life it was always always not being seen. Now, ultimately, do I, did I want to be seen? Probably. I think most people want to be seen. Most people want to be heard. But when you feel like you're broken, it's not something that you want the spotlight to highlight, you know, everything sure. that's wrong with you. And so I had this, you know, but later on, I, you know, you get tired of it. And you ask, you start wondering, get curious, which is a nice place to start with anything, getting curious about something, but getting curious about your financial situation, or getting curious why you know your relation, the relation you t- t- tend to date the same kind of people, or getting curious about a health condition and why why certain things you know, maybe it's the food reading, maybe it's just, you know, what we're attracted to and what our actions or habits are, are leading to. So later on, I, I got sick and tired of just being like, you know, nervous and, you know, scared all the time. And I started to see people succeed because I was working three times harder as everybody else with my brain injury to get worse grades. I started asking, Hey, how, what is that person doing to do so well in school, you know, and and, and not have to like pull all these all nighters. And so it changed my questions. Um, from, you know, now my questions are like, how do I make this better? How do, how do I learn this? How do I teach this to other people? And those dominant questions have led, you know, uh, lead my day. How do I, how do I light up a billion brains? It's a different kind of question.
0: I have to say
1: Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one Crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.
0: What was like the first, when you started going down this path of, you know, now you're obviously like a, 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 a sort of a coach where you teach these principles to many well-known people and and I'm so glad you finally have have written this down in a in a book the the limitless book but what was one of the first skills you started to learn and have that you really felt excited like you felt yourself improving and you got that kind of dopamine fix yeah. that oh I'm really learning this I'm I'm smart I'm getting smarter this is happening
1: it was like when i was 18 i um so i struggled from the age of 5 all through middle school junior high high school got into a a local, um, local college community, like school. And, and I wanted to, I thought freshman meant you can make a fresh start. And uh, I, uh, took all these classes and my motivation again, we're gonna talk about that as being part of the framework for learning faster and achieving anything was I wanted to make my family proud. You know, I'm the oldest of three kids, parents, you know, we, we grew up in the back of a laundromat that my mom worked at. Um, my grandmother, you know, was my caregiver because my parents had so many different jobs, um, working so hard that she raised me. And you know, she she ended up passing of, of Alzheimer's, and that those shaped my questions about memory and and brain health, right? In terms of my focus and my concern. Um, but when I was eighteen, I really wanted to make my family, my parents, proud. Um, but I started to do worse, and I wanted to quit. And a friend said, "Hey, before you tell your parents you're going to quit school, that could be pretty devastating." why don't you, I'm going home this weekend, why don't you come with and get some perspective? And I think this is so important for us. If we feel limited in a box, we feel like we're held back. Part of it is our point of view and change just changing your perspective. And for me, a change of perspective, an easy way of doing it is changing where I am, like a place, go for a walk or go on, you know, on a trip upstate or get some perspective on the problem. Uh, maybe some space and some distance, but the other thing is being around different people. Because the people you spend time with, we start adapting and adopting a lot of their their self talk and their languaging and their words. You know the same phrases that they use, and then we start. They, you know you, you've heard this. We become the the average of the five people we spend time right. the most time with. That if you spend time with nine broke people, be careful because you're on your way to be number ten. Because we're constantly adapting ourselves around with our surroundings. And so, um, I agree to go to visit his family and his father is, um, you know, they're pretty wealthy, um, very different than the way I grew up. And the father walks me around his property before dinner, asks me a question. And a question was, Jim, how's school? And that's the worst question you could ask me. And I just start bawling to this complete stranger because I was holding so much emotionally in. And I tell him my whole story, broken brain, ready to quit school, disappointed my parents, don't know what to tell them. And he's like, stop, Jim why are you in school? Like nobody's ever asked me that question. I just assume everybody just goes to school, right? All my every, my friends are, and I was like, what do you mean? So like, that's what, you, that's what you're supposed to do, right? He's like, well, why are you in school? What do you want to be? What do you want to do? What do you want to have? What do you want to share? Four questions, right? Because the, ch- the questions change your focus because at any given time, there's 1 billion stimuli we could be paying attention to. So primarily your brain is a deletion device. It's trying to keep information out because you'll go crazy if you were just, you're know, inundated with and drowning information all the time so your brain trying to keep it out what gets in are the things you ask questions about that's the filtering system and so he asked me questions like what do you want to be do have share give and i had no answers i because nobody's ever asked me that question If no one's ever if you never asked yourself that question you know you're not you don't have a lot of answers and so i started pondering these and questions and thinking about what i want to be do have and I started answering him and he says, stop. And he pulls out a piece of paper out of his, you know, he's carrying like a notebook and he tears out a couple of sheets, makes me write it down, which I think also is an, an important practice. One of the best ways to create in the world, you know, as you know, as, as a writer is to take things that are in your head and put them out on paper, because all of a sudden you've taken something invisible to the world and you made it visible right in front of you. And it helps you to reflect on it, and organize your thoughts and, and all of a sudden, you know, after, I don't know how much time I wrote, you know, a couple pages of things I wanted to be, to have, share, give, whatever. And uh, I start folding up the sheets to put in my pocket and he grabs them out of my hand. And I'm freaking out because I, I've never shared, I didn't even realize some of these things or things I wanted, right. Cause I've never really focused on it. And you know, he's looking at my dreams and my goals that I've never really shared with anyone, including myself. And I'm nervous because I don't want, I'm ready. I'm very insecure, 18 year old. And he's looking at me. He's like, Jim, you're this close to everything on that list. And he spreads his index fingers about a foot apart. And I'm thinking, no way, give me 10 lifetimes. I'm not going to crack that list. And he takes his two fingers and puts them to the side of my head, meaning what's in between, you know, my brain is is the key to have everything on that list. And he takes me wow. into a room of his home that I've never seen before. Uh, it's wall to wall, ceiling, floor, covered in books. Like I've never been in a library in somebody's house before. And, um, and honestly, I've never read a book cover to cover. And I'm, a, it took me an extra three years to learn how to read with my brain injury. And he, uh, so it's like being in a room full of snakes. Like I'm very, very uncomfortable. And what makes it worse is he starts going to these these shelves and handing me these snakes. <laughs> and, um, and I started looking at these titles of these books and there are these biographies of Men and women in history, and some early personal growth books. You know those, um, Norman Vincent Peale, The Power of, yeah, yeah. Thinking, Power of Positive Thinking, Napoleon Hill, Thinking We're Rich, Dale Carnegie, yeah. How to Win Friends. All these books, right? And I've never seen any of these books before. And he's like, Jim, I want you to read one book a week. He says, Leaders are readers. I want you to read one book a week. And I'm thinking, Have you not listened to everything I just told you? You know, I have learning challenges. I have all this schoolwork, and I have the broken. He's like, you know, He's like, Stop. Hold on for a second. He's like. And I said, schoolwork, he said, don't let school get in the way of your education, right? A famous Mark, I didn't know, this is over 25 years ago, I didn't know it was a Mark Twain quote. And I'm like, wow, that's really profound. And I'm like, still, I can't commit to doing this because, you know, again, we didn't grow up. In my family, they weren't the wealthiest by any stretch or the smartest or the most spiritual or the the, the healthiest wellness, but they just really good people. And I I won the lottery there. I feel like they're just very kind. They work really hard. They do what they say. And I'm like, I'm not going to convince reading one book a week because I can't do that. And then very smart man, he reaches into his pocket and he still has my bucket list. And he starts reading every single one of my dreams or goals out loud. And I don't know, James, something about hearing your deepest desires you know being said in somebody else's voice you know out loud into the universe it just it just messed with my mind and my 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 soul was something fierce and truthfully a lot of the things on that list were things i wanted to do for my family things they could never afford even if they had the money which they didn't you know they can never afford they would never do for themselves and that was part of my reasons for you know working so hard and i pushing myself so hard and with that leverage and that motivation that purpose i agree to read one book a week now that's by the way is so important that's why i want to i want to i want to just underscore this and really emphasize that it's having knowing what motivates you is so important in life because a lot of us are detached emotionally. We know the reasons, but we don't feel the reasons of, with the benefits of working out or the consequences of if we don't work out or eat the right foods or work on our business or, or something like that. And we could talk about the formula, but with that leverage, I agree to read one book a week. And so fast forward, I'm back at school. I have a pile of books I have to read for midterms and a pile of books I promised to read. And I already couldn't get through pile A. Right, I don't have the time. These are my self-talk. I don't have the time. I'm not smart enough. And so, what do I do? I don't do anything other. I don't eat. I don't sleep. I don't work out. I don't see people. I don't friends socialize. I just live in the library because I'm just you know I have to lead up you know fulfill my commitment, and um, and I can't sustain it. And after weeks of doing that, I just pass out one day in the library, you know, in late night, out of sheer exhaustion, I fall down a flight of stairs again. I hit my head again, and I woke up in the hospital two days later. And at this time, I'm wasting away. In a
0: for two days after that.
1: I woke up two days later, like almost wow. two days later. I was, I was down to something like 117 pounds. I mean, I was wasting away. It was the darkest time of my life. I mean, I thought I died, yeah. and I, I mean, I think part of me wished I had. You know, I would never because I would for the reasons of you know my family. I would never. Want that, but I was—I didn't know what else to do. Because what do you do when you work on something for years and years and years, and there's no improvement? And I, you um, know, it's like hopeless. And I just thought there had to be a better way. I was hooked up to all these IVs, and you know, I was dehydrated. And the nurse came in when I said there has to be a better way. Came in with a mug, and on it was a picture of uh, Albert Einstein. You know, a genius. The opposite of what, what I thought I was. But this saying you've heard before, his quote that was on the mug said something like the same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. The Same level of thinking that's created your problem won't solve your problem. And it made me ask a new question, going back to the power of questions and our thoughts. And like, what's my problem? My real problem is I'm a really slow learner. I have a slow brain. And I was like, well, how do I think differently about it? Well, maybe I can learn how to learn faster. That's literally what I said to myself. And I was like, okay, new question. How do I learned how to learn faster. And I was like, oh, obviously school. So I asked the nurse for a course bulletin to look at courses for next semester. And I started flipping through all the pages, looking for classes on how to learn better. And they were all classes on what to learn, math, history, science, Spanish, you know, important class on, on what to learn, but there were zero classes on how to learn those things, right? How, how to study it, how to remember it, how to focus, concentrate, how to read it better, how to, you know, think about it, all that stuff. And I became obsessed with those questions, and I set my studies aside, and I start studying the mind, the power of the mind. I wanted to solve this one question: How does my brain work, so I could work my brain? That was my dominant question: How does my brain work, so I could work my brain? How does my memory work, so I could work my memory? And I set my books aside because that, obviously, wasn't making progress there, and I started studying this other stack of books. On personal growth. And I got introduced to, you know, positive thinking. And I started learning about accelerated learning and, um, you know, start saying a little bit more about the brain. And when I started to study my brain, I was like, started getting more confidence because I was like, wow, the brain's pretty amazing. And I started studying like different multiple intelligence theory and adult learning theory and a little bit about psychology, and I got introduced to ancient mnemonics and, uh, you know, the Memory Palace, and I, and I found a book randomly about speed reading. Just, just remember, because these things are always there, but you're not paying attention to them, right? It's part of the billion stimuli that you're putting out, you know, you're, you're filtering out of your life. But when I started asking the right questions, I started seeing answers everywhere. And that's my concern right now with the world. You know, when, when there's a lot of media is talking, really focusing us on what's threatening and fear-based that our mind tends to go there and it starts deleting everything else, opportunity and what you're right. grateful for. And, you know, so there is a physical, there's, you know, we have to practice, as we talked about before, physical hygiene, but also mental hygiene. We have to stand guard to our mind, just like feeding our body with good food. You want to feed your brain with podcasts and books and things that kind of counterbalance, you know, the, the, all of them, everything else that could potentially be dark.
0: That's a really good point, that that mental hygiene is important. And, and I always tell people, just don't even listen to the news because the news has an agenda. If the news's agenda was just, let's give this person all the information about the day, that would be one thing. But their agenda also is to sell newspapers and make money. And so they manipulate a little your feelings in order to get you to buy a newspaper. So that's not totally equal to the agenda of let's inform you on everything that's going on,
1: right? The media, as we know, is a business, and the, their product is you—your attention. So whether it's television or anything else, they're they're selling commercials based on you paying, you know, spending time there. Right. And um and and we know that fame, you know, the famous uh, the famous saying in media that if it bleeds, it leads. That if 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 they say tune in at seven o'clock or you're gonna die like you're, you're going to, your survival, your brain is wired for survival and it's, it's going to got to pay attention. And, I, and I'm all, I'm okay with people knowing what's going on so we can make good decisions, but there's a difference between being aware of what's going on and also just obsessing about it all the time, because then that's all we see. We don't see everything else. And chronic fear, people don't realize this chronic stress, shrinks your brain it, that, that is, that is a, that is a fact and chronic fear, Makes it compromises your immune system so it makes you more susceptible to colds and flus and viruses. And so part of being healthy is not just feeding yourself good food and getting good sleep is lowering your stress and you know focusing on things that you could control. so you can't necessarily control what's going on you know with the health of the world but you can control your own well-being or at least influence it. You can't control maybe the economic econ- you know world economics but you could control your own finances and your decisions, you know, around money, for instance. But that's a, that's a big part is, again, is always coming back to, I feel like if there's one lesson I wish I could instilled in myself early on, like if I could implant it on, is that I am 100% responsible for my life. Because whether it's, whether it's true or not, again, I feel like that you know that I've said this in your previous episode that when I went took Stan Lee out to dinner, you know it was just he said with great power comes great responsibility, and I flipped it. I was like, yeah, and with great responsibility comes great power. And most people they don't want the responsibility because they feel like it's a burden. When actually claiming responsibility for where you are in life, you know it gives you power to make it better. It's
0: such a great point. I'm glad you mentioned it again. And so now, so obviously, I mean every human has the potential for great responsibility or many humans do, most humans do. And what did you start? Okay. So, so how can I start? I would Mm -hmm. like to be limitless. Like what, what are the first things I can do? By the way, also I'm uh, just so people, listeners know, um, we're Jim and I are doing this on zoom. Jim's got like a thousand books behind him. (laughs) Have you read those books?
1: I read most books because I, um, for me, I don't want it to be just shelf help. I want it to be real self help. And reading. Yeah, I like that. Shelf help
0: versus self help. Reading
1: for me, I I have to read 45 minutes a day. It's just ingrained to me. I just feel like if someone like you has decades of experience in something and you put it into a book, and I could read that book, you know, somebody could read that book in a few days or a week. You could download decades into days. And it's just. And it's also great mental exercise. I, I love podcasts. I love audiobooks. Uh, you know, like, I, you know, we publish a podcast, our own, every, I love that. But it's not as active as even when people are tested on audio or when they're reading, they'll do better on comprehension and retention off of reading something as opposed to listening to it. Oh. Because, and I'll, one of the reasons why, which I think everyone could appreciate, is usually when we're listening to something, we're usually doing something else we're working out, we're driving, we're cleaning the, our house. And so, you know, our, we're a little distracted also, as opposed to when we're re- reading, you know, we're more active and we're not trying to read and do something else.
0: Um, yeah. I, I always call reading is like being a vampire. Cause like you said, someone's spent decades learning something and I get to download the most yeah. important parts of those decades into my body you know, in just like a few hours, it's the
1: the greatest advantage somebody could have. Plus it's great mental exercise. Reading is to your mind what exercises the body. And I can't imagine going a day without reading. You know, I have that, uh, I did an instant story with Will Smith and I went in that trailer that time. And I was like, you know, what are the two things you do for your mind that keeps you like, as you know, like this performer, he was like, every single day I have to run and I have to read. I was like, "Wow, that's interesting." He has to do something physical every day, and he has to do something mental every day. And so, I, I'm a big believer that leaders leaders are readers. That you know, actually, how I bonded and connected because people don't ask this, but when they see pictures of me and Oprah or Elon or Bill Gates, we we connected over books. And, um, I know I'd, and also people don't, another reason to read fiction books, um, because like most books, a lot of people in our communities, uh, various communities, they read just nonfiction, but I, I would invite people to read a little fiction, maybe, you know, at nighttime or just a little bit each day, because it, it actually has been shown to enhance creativity, um, emotional intelligence, empathy, you know, when you're, when you're seeing well, something from somebody else's point of view.
0: I mean, I, I totally agree with that. I think. I think fiction is good to read because there's, a, there's an important difference between fiction and nonfiction. Nonfiction is usually written by people who are experts in a domain and now they're writing about that domain in a book. Fiction is often written by really great writers. Yeah. So you actually read really great writing when you read it. It's, it's, it's hard for a nonfiction person to also be a great writer. They can be good writers, but probably not great, fantastic writers. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you read, I'll just make. Do a classic example, but like Ernest Hemingway, that's someone who spent 40 years learning the craft of writing. So he's going to have a different style of writing than the average nonfiction writer. It's going to be, and he's going to be able to communicate emotions and settings and 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 story in a different way than a than a, a nonfiction writer. Not that nonfiction writers are bad; it's just
1: a different art form. Completely, I didn't even think about it that way. But there's definitely an art and a science. Uh, to to writing, you know, and so it's, yeah. it's really powerful. But coming back to how to become limitless, the first part, it would start with your mindset. So there's three parts. I want everybody to, as they're listening to this, to grab a pen and paper if you can and just write this down, um, draw it out. And basically what we're drawing is a Venn diagram. And if you can't, if you can't absolutely draw it out, just imagine in your mind, imagine three circles. Like it looks like Mickey Mouse, two ears intersecting and a head. That's all of them have are overlapping each other, right? Three circles, Venn diagram. And then the top left is your mindset. And so what what's your mindset? Those are the assumptions and attitudes you have about something. Your mindset is like the attitudes and assumptions you have about the world, about how things work, your attitudes and assumptions about about yourself. What would fall in that circle? are things that would be relevant for this. Um, what, what, what do you believe is possible would fall underneath that your mindset, what do you believe you're capable of would fall underneath that, that uh, mindset, what, do you believe- so what, would be,
0: what would be an example? Like, I'm just trying to think mm-hmm. for me, what, what am I capable of? Like, I know I'm capable of writing a book, for instance, I'm probably mm-hmm. not capable of being a professional basketball player, but that's too extreme. But what would be so? What would be a reasonable thing for me to put something there? Something
1: like that, like something around what you're capable of. Like I, I'm, I'm capable of remembering X. Like I, I, the book is is a book on accelerated learning, so the examples that I use, were are to help people to learn faster. So I, one capability would be like I am capable or not capable of learning another language, or I am bad at math. That would be a like something that would be in their believability. What's possible? What they're capable of. Some people feel like they can't dance, right? So that would be a mindset issue. So they can learn, like the third circle is methods, the how-to, so they can learn how to remember names or how to salsa, but if they, their mindset is, they can know what the method is, but if their mindset is, I'm a horrible dancer, you know what I mean? Or I, I have a horrible memory, that's gonna affect, that's gonna keep you in that box. So everybody right now, think about a box where you feel held back. you feel like you're not making progress and so maybe it's in your relationship maybe it's in your body maybe it's here in your bank account maybe it's in your learning there's three forces that keep you in that box it's three dimensions right three-dimensional box the first dimension is your mindset and so some people believe that they're not capable of of focusing they believe they can never they're not good with numbers right that's just their belief their mindset and so they can have the the great methods taught by the greatest instructor and it would still keep them in that box because that mindset the second circle is your motivation this is a big one because when i say motivation it is a loaded word a lot of people associate motivation to i don't know motivational seminars where they get really excited and jump on chairs and they're like oh i'm gonna i'm gonna exercise tomorrow that's it i'm gonna quit my job i'm gonna i'm gonna go out and, and start dating again and they're they're quote unquote motivated, but what they really are is just excited. And then the next day comes and it's just back to whatever the level set is. And so that's not the motivation I'm talking about. I'm talking about sustainable motivation that when Bradley Cooper took that pill, he had a surge of motivation, but when that pill wore off 24 hours later, not very motivated, right? And so how do you have sustainable motivation? What I did was I, I did a thought experiment. You know, I took my 28 years of field experience working with children to see if they're motivated, to seniors, to athletes, Olympic athletes, and actors, people just performing at different levels. And I did this thought experiment saying, okay, if I was to build the ultimate motivated human being, their motivation just never falters. What would I have to install into this person? And I was like, okay, first of all, this is the formula. P times E times S3 is the formula for sustained motivation. And I'll, I'll, I'll walk everyone through it. P times E times S three. This is the formula for overcoming procrastination. This is the formula for for having unlimited drive. Right.
0: Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna need this because I have a I have a book I have to finish in the next week. Perfect.
1: Perfect. So the P stands for purpose. Okay. So your purpose. You don't have to. Here's a lie. Right. Because we're all about lies again. Limited idea entertained not necessarily true. It's just an idea we give energy to, we're entertaining it as if it is true. Some people have a a belief that motivation is you have to enjoy. Okay. Let's back up. The proof that someone is motivated is not what they say or even how they feel. The truth is you can only tell if someone's motivated if they're acting, right? Otherwise they're not motivated. They can say whatever they're saying, but they're not doing that thing. They're not motivated. So that's the evidence. Now, in order for somebody to be motivated, you you first need a P, which is purpose. And there's a lie that says that let's say let's use the example of working out that you have to in order to be motivated all the time you have to enjoy that activity. But that's absolutely not true because in the cases of the people that I know, even some of the most notable sports figures, you know a lot of them do not enjoy working out. They don't they do not enjoy practice, but they never miss it. And so that you don't have to enjoy Like part of my morning routine is, you know, that I, I talk about habits and first you create your habits and your habits create you. And I have a whole chapter on habits and how do you design habits, break old habits. Part of my morning rituals, I take a cold shower every freaking morning. And if you ask me if I enjoy it, no, I grew up in the Northeast. I hate the cold. I, I don't enjoy it, but I have a purpose for doing so. And that purpose I feel, you know, cause afterwards I feel great. Right after a workout, you feel great, right? But I'm clear, so I know I'm always motivated. And so the goal for purpose is to ask yourself the question, let's say your book, is to allow yourself to feel the consequences of doing it and not doing it. Allow yourself to feel what's good and also what could be painful. Because pain could be a great motivator if you allow yourself to feel it. Like who's missing out because you aren't doing this thing? Who's counting on you to be healthy so that you could, so they could you know, so you could walk them down the aisle on their wedding, right? Like allow yourself to feel that pain.
0: Yeah. It's interesting. Cause like working out is a great example. Like I, like everybody, I hate working out and I always tell myself, Oh, I just, I can't do it. I don't have enough energy to do it. But, and then you know, there's, there's two possible motivators. And one is a lot of people work out in order to look better. And that's an important motivator and so on. But that never was quite the motivator for me. But one thing is as i get older is i i do want to have a high quality older age mm-hmm. you know i want to, when i'm 80 years old i don't want to be you know hunched over and sick all the time and whatever i want to have a healthy lifespan as it's called as its or health span as it's called and so that's an important motivator for working out and that and that's
1: good so the part first part of the formula is the P is having a purpose because if you don't have a purpose, not just know the reasons intellectually, but allow yourself to feel it, you won't do it. Like I know taking ice baths, like people see me on Instagram, like going into a tub of ice for five minutes, like, you know, in the moment, though, I, I, I'm I all for bringing joy to it, though. Like, if it's between working out and enjoying it and working out and not enjoying it, enjoy it if you can. Like, get yourself pumped up and do what you have to do in your mind is to really enjoy the process. But I'm just saying it's not a requirement because there are many people who don't like doing something, but they do it. Like, just think about their jobs. How many people are dissatisfied with their jobs, but they're motivated to go to work every single day, even though they don't enjoy it. So, motivate, so, so enjoying is not um, part of the equation. But add it in. If you can, you might as well enjoy it. If you're going to do it anyway, you know, and if you can't, if you don't love what you do and at least find the, find the love in, you know, if you don't love what you're doing, then try to find, you know, something, what you're doing that you love. Right. So yeah, at least yeah. you can make the best out of it. So that's purpose, but it has to be feeling based because I always tell people reasons reap results. If you don't have a reason to remember someone's name, if you don't have a reason to work out. If you don't have a reason for reading a book a week, it's just not going to happen. Right. Allow yourself to feel it. That's purpose. Now, and I, so this whole area that we do a whole chapter on finding your purpose and, you know, and discovering and allowing yourself to feel it exercises. Now, what's the E? I went back in this thought experiment. I was like, okay, we're building the ultimate motivated human being. Motivation never falters. If you just, this person has enough purpose, are they always going to be motivated? Is there any time when they're not going to be motivated? Any exception to the rule? And I say, yes, if they're lacking the E e stands for energy meaning that somebody can be motivated to work out and they could feel the benefits of working out they want a, you know greater lifespan and a greater health span and they want to live to 80 and and that not only add years to their life but life to their years they could feel it and still not do it because maybe they have a newborn and it's kept them up two nights in a row or maybe they're so freaked out because what's going on in the world it's messing up their sleep and they just you know, They have a reason and a purpose, but they, have the, they don't want the energy to get to the gym.
0: So I should kill the baby.
1: <laughs> but no, what you want to do is, you don't want to throw out the baby, but what you want to do is optimize your, your vitality. So in the book, we talk about things that you and I have talked about in the past on how to optimize your mental vitality. Everything from the food you eat to managing your stress, to optimizing your, we do all whole chapter on sleep, because if you don't have the energy, you could have a purpose for reading a book a week right? We know the average person reads maybe what, two books, three books a year. Imagine reading a book a week, 52 books a year. What a huge advantage you have. You have like a PhD in any subject, right? Um, And let's say you have enough purpose, but you ate really crappy that day and you're in a food coma. You can't get yourself to read because you don't have the energy. So that's why energy is an important factor here. So optimizing your energy. And there are 10 things I talk about in the book to optimize your energy. Mental energy, so you don't have brain fog and decision fatigue and all these things. Finally, what's
0: the the most important one? Fine, what's that? The most important one.
1: Out of all those, For energy, sleep. Yeah, Yeah. I I would say you could eat a crappy diet, but if you're not sleeping, and I know this personal experience, you know, traveling internationally, even this year I was in three continents in like one week. When your sleep gets jacked, you can't. You don't have the energy to do anything. And um, and so here's the thing. So now you have purpose, you have energy. My thought experiment that to make this you know ultimate motivated machine, I was like, okay, if the person if the person has enough purpose, they feel it, they know their reasons, and they have enough energy. Are they always going to be motivated? And I was like, no. There's one case I could think of in my person three decades of doing this where they still won't take action, and that is if they lack the small steps meaning a lot of people, they have their goal and their goal is, I want to create the next billion dollar brand, right? I want to find my soulmate and live happily ever after. I want that perfect six pack abs. And that's way too big. And so if a goal is too big or confusing or intimidating, you won't be motivated because a confused mind doesn't do anything. So S3 stands for small, simple step, meaning that What is, is the question I ask, what is the smallest action I could take to make progress for my goal that is so small I can't fail? What is the smallest step? Because that small step requires little effort and little energy. And a lot of people, again, they're not motivated because it's too big a thing or too confusing a thing or too intimidating a thing. So how do you break it down into small, simple steps? Let's take reading. Maybe it's not you trying to read a book a week. Maybe it's today, I just want to open the book. That's a small, simple step, opening up a book. Anybody could do that. Or maybe it's reading one sentence. Or maybe it's not working out and doing my cross. Maybe it's just getting my shoes on. Or maybe getting to the gym is a small, simple step.
0: Or I'll give another example, that that because I, I firmly believe in the small, simple steps approach, is that uh, let's say you have an idea for a business. Let's say you have an idea for an app. You could kind of spec out what does the front page look like for the app. Mm-hmm. What's what does the second page look like? What's the what's the main transaction or function that happens in the app? You could spec it out. It's even a small step. You could upload it to Freelance.com where there's freelance programmers, and you could see who wants to. Uh, you could see how much it costs and how much how fast. It almost requires no time at all, and then suddenly you could make a quick decision to build this app and you've taken almost no time and spent no money. Exactly.
1: And if if you're, whether it's an app or it's you want to write that book and it's always been inside of you and just, you know, write for five minutes. (laughs) Like write for for, you know, take out. Exactly. Start with, start with. And then, so it's a small, simple step. And the phrase, which is cliche, but a lot of cliches have a lot of truth to it. Inch by inch, it's a cinch. Yard by yard, way too hard. Right? You just break it down. And then you, you also piggyback on a memory principle called the Zygarnik effect. The Zygarnik effect is um, this psychologist, uh, She her last name is Zygarnik, she's at a cafe, she goes every day uh, to have her tea and she noticed that the waitstaff staff would remember everyone's order, everyone's order there until that order was delivered. And once the waitstaff staff delivered the order, they have zero recollection of what that person ordered. And she called it the Zeigarnik effect, basically saying that your mind doesn't like open loops. Like it's kind of like how people binge watch, he's using his time to binge watch all these shows. They're watching every single show possible on their favorite, you know, entertainment platform, because at the end they open up a loop. And the brain's like, okay, just one more episode, and then all of a sudden it's like three a.m., you know. And then that's what happens: the brain doesn't like those open loops, and it wants to close it. And so the Zeigarnik effect is basically once you op- once you start something, you're more likely to to finish that thing, and it gives you some positive momentum with little little. You you've seen those dominoes, right? You hit a little domino, and it hits over another yeah. domino, and all of a sudden it's knocking down like something like a ten foot, you know. Ball. So
0: in this situation with the waitress, though, like is she? Because she closed the loop by handing in
1: the order mm-hmm. that
0: it, it flushes from memory?
1: So, yeah. So, I heard the intention behind the understanding, the intent behind the, the Zygarnik effect, how it name after it is just what happens is somebody asks for an order and that opens up this loop and it doesn't close that loop until the order is actually delivered. And then it, there's no long, there's no reason to be able to hold on to it. The Zygarnik effect here in terms of productivity is saying start somewhere, start anywhere, but just start somewhere because you're me if you start something, you're more likely to finish it because of the like, psychonic effect because you want to close that loop.
0: I've never heard it called that, but it's very interesting because let's say I have four podcasts in a day, which is like an insane thing to do, but i've I've done it in the past. Usually what happens is, and I've always wondered about this, after I do the first podcast or let's say the second podcast, I actually cannot remember who was on my podcast just even a half hour earlier. I can't remember anything. And it must be that same effect. And and I've always thought it was because now my mind is not focused on the next podcast I have to do that maybe I flushed it from RAM before I got into the ROM, right, and part of and it before it has to, got into
1: the exactly, and part of it has to do with intention, also as well, knowing that you are recording this in different formats and everything. It's, they call it digital dementia. It's just like when you put a phone number in your phone, you don't have to actively recall it because you know it's stored mm-hmm. somewhere. You know that password is somewhere. You know it's on a post-it note or in you know, last pass or something. So it's it's knowing that it's there, knowing that you don't have to, you're not required to be able to retain it. And so, but going back to the formula for ultimate motivation, P times E times S3. If you want to be motivated around something, you know, know what that goal is and then what's your purpose? You know, how does it here mentally and also emotionally, you know, both with doing it and not doing it, the consequences and then making sure... It you have has them. to
0: be really sincere. You have to really believe it. Like... Like, for instance, you know, again, I mentioned with working out, like, it's more important to me to be healthy when I'm 80 than to look good when I'm 80. Right. And, and it's different. If, I had, each if I person. Thought my focus was to look good, I would have failed.
1: Right. And, but some people that the opposite motivates them, they're not doing right. it for, for health reasons, they're doing it for vanity. And there's no right or wrong. Again, it's whatever. Right. If that happens to be an inherent value for you, one of the best ways to tap into your, you know, a reason is to connect it to one of your important values. So going back to, you know, uh, what we talked about in the last episode, when you're cocooning and you want clarity, one of the ways of, you know, using your time is to clarify and self-reflect and asking yourself, what's most important to me in life? And if you know that the most important things in, t- in your life are love, growth, contribution, adventure, then to the degree you could tie your behavior around those values. When I said, you know, are your actions aligned with your values? Then you don't have to motivate yourself because it's inherent Right? You, have, you, you have this um, intrinsic motivation because it's tied to something that you hold dear already. And so some people, their values are significance in how they appear. So if, it, if, that's, what, if that's your value, then tie your behavior around that value and you'll have this tr- unlimited you know, drive because that's the core of what's important to you. And so that, that's motivation. And then the final M, you have mindset, motivation, the final M are the methods. Right, and so methods are the strategies. And in the book, we talk about five. We do five chapters, one chapter on each what I call uh, forms of superpowers. Meta learning. So we do a chapter on focus because I think that's a superpower now. I think we do a we do a fo- we do a chapter on study methods, studying technical material for retention and comprehension. We do a chapter on memory, which is the largest chapter of the book, and we do a f- chapter on. Speed reading, and then a chapter on critical thinking skills. But I feel like the if you, people, if I was to imbue somebody a modern day, you know, entrepreneur, uh, creative, parent, whatever form student, I would, imbue, I would imbue them with those five superpowers, and they are going to be unstoppable because today, learning your ability to learn and adapt, where whole industries just disappeared and businesses disappeared, and you have to relearn a new trade and skill and, and, and expertise. I think that's very important now. Now, now here's the magic. You have these three intersecting circles where mindset and motivation intersect, that crossover, I'm gonna give you three eyes. that crossover is inspiration. So you have mindset books, great book called Mindset by Dr. Carol Dweck. You have mindset speakers, you have motivational books and motivational speakers, motivational events, and where they cross over, you have inspiration you have inspirational speakers, inspirational books, inspiring movies, right? Where mindset crosses over with methods, you believe everything is possible in your mind and you know in your mind what to do, the methods, then that's ideation, ideation, because it's just an idea. You believe this is possible and you know what to do, the methods, but you're ideating, you're not executing, right? Because you lack the motivation. And where motivation crosses over with methods, you're motivated and you know what to do in the method, that's implementation, implementation. But you can still be locked in that box because you're only going to be able to produce what you believe is possible, your mindset, and what you believe you deserve. So somebody can be motivated to, to find that person they want to date. They even could have read books on methods to meet you know, somebody and cultivate a relationship and make it amazing and get married or whatever that book happens to be on methods but they're only going to be able to achieve what they believe they deserve and what they believe that they're capable of. Right. And so the reason I wrote this book is because primarily people don't know this, this was a textbook, all methods. The book was completely how to read faster, remember facts, figures, foreign languages, name, trace, all this stuff. But then I said like, Hey, if somebody found this book on this, you know, somewhere they, would they get the results? That was my question. And I'm like, yeah, about 20% of them would. Why don't the other 80%? Because knowledge alone is not power. Knowing what to do is not enough because common sense is not common practice. Then I went, what's missing? Mindset, motivation. Now where mindset, motivation, and methods all cross over, or where ideation, implementation, inspiration all cross over in that sweet spot in the middle, that's the fourth I, which is integration. Integration, like, like, in, like integral, it's, it's making whole, right? It's it's just who you are. And that's where you're fully integrated. That's the limitless state. And so my suggestion, my recommendation, my, I plead everyone who's listening is to think of an area where you feel held back, you're not making progress. And now this becomes a framework or a, a, a tool for you to overlap and saying, where, where's my challenge here? Is it in my mindset? And do I not believe it's possible? Do I not believe I'm capable of it? Do I not believe I deserve it? Is it in my motivation? Do I not know the reason or purpose why I'm doing this or, or the cost if I don't do this? Am I not feeling it? Is it my energy level? Do I, am I just do not have enough energy? Am I not? And look at my sleep and my diet and my stress and the energy vampires in my life and, and all these things, my clean environment, everything. Or am I, is it too big in my head? Do I need to break it down into small, simple steps or is it the process that I'm using? Maybe I have the right mindset and I'm, I'm really motivated, but I'm using old techniques for starting a business or investing or, you know, finances or dating or rote repetition, sub vocalization, all the bad learning habits. And so in the book, I teach you more updated methods to be able to specifically to be able to learn.
0: I, I just want to say, I really like, again, the the small steps aspect, because I think people don't realize that a skill most people most skills that people think are skills are not really skills but but a, a an aggregation of subskills. So take I don't know golf. Okay, I don't golf so I might get this all wrong, but golf there's when you first hit the ball for the long mm-hmm. drive and then there's putting, then there's, you know, getting out of a sand trap and I don't know there's like probably or business is a good one. There's no such skill as Business. There's sales. There's negotiation,
1: right? And even those, you could break down. You know, you could break down sales even smaller and micro. It also. Right. I agree that it's not. You know, it's these these macro skills, but these it's actually make, made up of my, micro. Like I, I work with um, these video game these kids that are just amazing, right? And you know, like I remember growing up and my parents like saying that oh, you? why are you playing video games? You never can make a living playing video games. But like these kids are doing really well playing in yeah. Coliseum's of video games. But they've broken it down to these micro skills as 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 literally switching off from button to button. Like they will practice that micro skill like all day. And then it's a set of skills. And then you put those little subset skills into big, you know, sets of skills.
0: I think this is always underestimated. Like, I don't know, whatever you want to do. Let's say you want to be a magician. There's the skill of, you know, Manipulating things with your fingers. Then there's kind of the performance skill, like the aha. Mm-hmm. There, then there's uh, you know, then there's learning all the different tricks, which is just a, you know, and memorizing them, which is just a different skill. Yeah. All these skills are mutually exclusive, but together it's magic. Yeah, and I, I agree. So, so what are what, what in terms of the methods? I'm I was curious when you said critical thinking. What's what's like what's how do I improve the so, critical thinking? So skill?
1: here's the reason why we will start with the reason why is because. Nowadays, so I document, I open the the, the book with the four digital supervillains, like the 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 horsemen of the apocalypse, this apocalyptic, you know, the, the age of where and, and, you know, something, right? And so these horsemen are digital deluge, too much information, too little time. So that's why we teach speed reading and study. Digital distraction, which is why we spend a chapter on focus. Digital dementia, which is outsourcing our brains to our smart devices, so we're not getting, you know, remembering anything. So that's why we do a chapter on focus. And then the fifth chapter, the, the fourth horseman, that takes care of the. We take care of the, the fifth superpower, is digital deduction. And digital deduction is a term I just coined because they're finding that children do not have the analytical ability of previous generations because of technology. Because if you're relying on technology to tell you what to think or how to think, Mm -hmm. then you're not having to think for yourself. And so everything is being spoon fed for us, like through technology and media and everything else, even GPS. We don't have to think, work on our visual, spatial, location intelligence. You know, even have you ever gone into an Uber car and they just like like, literally it's an easy trip, but they're following some, you know, distorted app and they're just like going way out of their way because they never have to execute their own sense of deduction and reasoning and critical thinking so we do a whole chapter on that because i think out of all the chapters it's one of the most important sure speed reading yes memory all that all that's very important focus absolutely how you can get things done without focus and concentration but how do you make good decisions you know, how do you solve problems? What's a process for doing that? And school teaches you what to learn and what to think, but not how to learn and how to think. Like we're not taught how to solve our own problems. At best people like make, okay, here are pros and here's some cons, right? And that's how they make their decision. But what keeps us locked in a certain framework is um, a certain getting the same result every single time is looking at a problem from the same perspective every single time. And so because we have a certain predilection uh, towards one point of view, that we attack that problem every single time with that point of view. So that way you always make the same investments. You always date the same kind of person. You always eat the same kind of like things for your wellness or lack thereof, right? And so in the book, I, I go through a number of mental models of frameworks, how you can look at the world in a different way, which forces a different point of view. Let me let me give you an example. I want everyone right now to think about a decision that you've been um, that you're that you have to make. All right. A problem that you have that doesn't have to be a life-threatening thing, but something that's just, you know, something you need to make a decision on, that you've been procrastinating, or something that either you, a decision you have to make or a problem you have to solve. So think about it so it has substance to you. In the book, I I go through many different mental models and frameworks for making good decisions. Um, And basically, let me highlight one of them. One of them is called Six Thinking Hats and credited to Edward de Bono. And basically the idea here is the same as I've stated is that sometimes we can't get out of our own way, that we tend to repeat things over and over again because we have the same thought processes that started the thing is the same processes aren't going to be the same process that get us out of that thing. So for example, with six thinking hats, it's a way of giving yourself permission to see something from a different point of view. So here's the example. Edward De Bono says there are six hats and six, and each of these hats are a different color. And as you're thinking about this problem, I'm going to walk you through, imagine putting this hat on. And when you put this hat on, this imaginary hat, You can't anymore see this problem or situation or decision through the same lens as you currently do. You have to see it through these glasses or this hat. And we'll learn by doing it. And because I'm a memory guy, I'm gonna give you a couple of, I'm gonna give you a mnemonic trick to remember all six colors. So the first one, no specific order is the white hat. When you put on the white hat, the white hat is your logical point of view. And so you have to make your decision or look at this problem through the lens of information facts data okay and the white hat to remind you of that is a scientist's white lab coat that's to remind you when you're wearing that white hat you go into science mode there's no emotions or no you're just looking at the facts so you look at it and go assess this decision or this situation this problem just from a factual logical standpoint
0: is there a chance you can get confirmation bias in terms of what facts you choose of to- Of course, of course. Yeah. We can micro
1: apps, absolutely. And we could that, that, we could go down a rabbit hole, certainly. Um, so that, that's the white hat and now take off the white hat, set it down and actually do this. Just imagine you're grabbing the red hat and you put on the red hat. Now you're no longer that logical person because you're not wearing that white hat. You're not capable of logic. When you put on the red hat, the red is all feelings. You have to look at the situation. Maybe it's you're looking at a relationship, and you know, like, should you continue this relationship? Start a new, whatever it happens to be. We're just being fictitious. The white hat is like the logical one. Who you know, who's the person that I should be with? Da, 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 da. The red hat. What do you feel? Lot, you know, lot logic. You know, information, data aside. You know, what, what does your heart say? And that's where you get touch in because some people make decisions all red hat, <laughs> without ever looking at like from a white hat standpoint, right? So red is like a memory trick is red. Like the heart emotions, right? Just to help you remember it, take off the red hat. Great. Now you're going to put on the yellow hat, the yellow hat and the yellow hat is the optimistic hat. I'm I'm being like, and I'm, I'm giving this a gross summary. I go way more detail inside the book. The yellow hat is the the optimistic hat. This is everything that could go right right? You're not even, you can't see what could go wrong. You're just looking at the upside of things. And so when you're, and just to remind you of it, it's like white, like the, like the like yellow, like the sun, the warmth of the sun, just possibility. This, this is amazing. Everything is good. Everything can go right. Right. That's the yellow hat. You take off the yellow hat and then you put on the black hat. Now the black hat is the, uh, the critic. All right. So this is the, oh, perfect. The Imagine a judge, who's gonna judge and the judge's robes are black. So when you put on the black hat, you go into judgment mode and you go into, you go into critic mode, you go into what could go wrong here, where it's, it's not, not necessarily where you're pessimistic, but you're, you're basically, you're looking at the, the risk that's involved. What, what, where, what Where's all the downside on this investment or in this relationship? All the things that could go wrong, that's the black hat, the black judge or the critic, right, the critic's robe. And then finally, as we go through, we went through the um, next hat is the green hat. The fifth hat is the green hat. And now, when you put on the green hat, the green hat actually is possibilities, it's creativity. The green hat is newness. And really, this is like out of the box thinking. The green hat is a, a memory trick, memory mnemonic would be green like grass, it grows, right? New growth. And so this would be your creativity hat is like, what am I not thinking about right here? Maybe it's not, I live here, or maybe it's not, I take this job an hour away, or I go back, or I, I take this job for less pay. Maybe the, the green hat is, I, um, I go back to school. You know, something new that can meet that intention. That's growth, right? Growth like, like, like green plants. And then finally, the sixth hat, take off the green hat, you put on the blue hat. And the order doesn't matter except the blue hat is last because the blue hat is the manager hat. The blue hat listens to what all the other hats had to say and, you know, with an open mind and overviews everything, reviews everything that everyone, you know, all the other hats had to say and then makes the final decision. And blue, like blue skies, it overviews everything right? And then it listens to everybody and then it makes a decision. And the reason why it's going to be a better decision or it's going to help you to solve that problem better is because what keeps us locked in is one point of view. Everybody listening to this usually has a dominant hat that they go to. You know, they're always the critic. They just like, all things that could go wrong. That's, that's their mindset 90% of the day. Or they're the logical one. They're like the, like data or Spock, right? They're like, okay, everything data. Or they're the emotional person. It's, everything is emotional. But this gives you six different points or five, at least five different points of view. And you have a more enriched um, understanding of the problem or the situation. You could course correct a little bit easier. And this is great, whether you're an individual going through this thought experiment, or if you have a team, Right. If you have a team of five or six or ten people, it's like everybody. all right, Everyone put on the white hat together. All right. Let's talk about it from a white hat perspective. Or give everybody separate hats. You know, put it put it, at, put it you know, in a hat like different colors, and let everyone pick a different hat, and then we argue from that point of view, or we have a good discussion that point of view. And the person who has a blue hat listens to everything and helps to you know bring bring that bring that to bear.
0: So that, that's so. What's made?
1: that's one tool okay. that we teach. Um, in the critical thinking section that I feel like sometimes we're not using these faculties and it's one of the most important things because again, where jobs are going to automation and AI is how do you think creatively? How do you solve problems? How do you make better decisions?
0: I think, I think that's important too. And you know, another way in which it's important, that type of critical thinking and using those types of, of that, that hat, the the hat method is we're also in a world where everybody's increasingly polarized. So there's red states and there's blue states, but there's no yellow or green states. There's nothing in the <laughs> middle, and you're either you either like red people or you like blue people. But you're not allowed if you're blue, you're not allowed to like red, and if you're red, you're not allowed to like blue. So we're, we've become this polarized culture, and I think it's helpful to really be able to argue things from the other person's point of view, just as good as they can, because otherwise, how do you really know what you know? The, the full complexity of a problem or a decision. Like nothing's ever simple. If 50 million people believe one thing and 50 million people believe another thing, that's kind of an indicator that it's a complex problem. So uh, it's useful to kind of avoid that sort of polarized uh, groupthink.
1: I, I agree. It's it's one of the, I think these tools are, like in your, having your mental toolbox, it's better than having a default, you know, where we just default to whatever we happen to be mm-hmm. thinking or feeling in that moment.
0: That's a good point. And let me ask you a question. In terms of learning, how important is obsession? Define obsession. Well, like for instance, I'm I'm gonna I'm I'm gonna limit myself right now. I'm not very good at languages, mm-hmm. but and it's because I have no motivation to learn another right. language. Like I really just don't want to put in the time, the effort. And fortunately, most of the world, or or not most. I shouldn't say that. It's it's uh, English centric, but a lot of the world speaks english right. and i've i've gotten by this long just learnt, knowing english and uh but if but if if suddenly i got obsessed with learning spanish or learning some other language i probably would be able to learn it like i i feel that i can only learn things really well when i'm obsessed with it when i'm willing to put in those extra hours because i love something so much like i'll learn uh, uh poker or something like that because i'll get obsessed with it and i'll learn all the statistics and i'll read every book and but you have to be obsessed. you can't force yourself to do it. I mean, I guess it's related to motivation, but I, but it's motivation for me. it has to tip into the area of obsession,
1: yeah, depending on how we we define it, it would definitely fall in that in that area. We know that obviously you can, I, I have a belief that we could do almost anything, but we can't do everything, and so obsession has to do with with focus and narrowing and doing that deep work, you know that. You know Cal Newport and like, like all these these people talk about the deep practice, and obviously, have you build an obsession? Um, and it's built around like if you fall in love with somebody who happens to just speak that language, and you go there and you travel, you appreciate the art that's there and the food and everything. You get obsessed and you go deep, then with little distraction, and obviously that person is going to learn. Better than, than a person who just has a general interest about something. Always know that there's is not, this is the great thing about this is, is this is all personal and individual for the per, you know, for that individual. Meaning that with everything that we're talking about, what's one person's who motivates one person doesn't motivate the other person, right? And the things right. that give some people energies doesn't give other people energy. Everything is differently weighted because we are still individual and so i would say certainly if somebody was has a higher level of commitment a higher level of focus a higher level of drive then they're going to get you know more everything else being equal they're going to get better results certainly because they're not the opportunity cost there's their focus isn't split on some something else they somebody else is doing right they're not trying right. to do two or three things usually somebody who is obsessed that's a dominant their dominant thoughts, their dominant habits, everything, their goal is a vision, their mind wanders towards that thing all the time. And it, they're singularly focused on something. So I mean, yeah, they would definitely learn something better.
0: And and in terms of finding purpose, what's like one or two tips you can give people just to to leave off uh, where someone could go in the direction of, like, because a lot of people wonder, how do I find my purpose? Particularly young people, or let's say right now we're in a situation where. 20 million people might have been just laid off from their jobs and, they're, and they want to figure out what their next purpose or sometimes it's called passion, what, what it is.
1: In, in the book, I, I make a distinction between a lot of words um, because I feel like words have meaning and similar to when people interchange words like nice and kind, which people think it's the same. It has the same meaning, but when you actually look it up, it has, it has a very different meaning that somebody at the grocery store could that's checking you out at, you know, online the cashier, they could be nice to you, but that doesn't mean they care about you um, at all, but they could somebody could be nice or placate to you, not be invested in you and not go out of their way to, 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 to be able to serve you uh, as opposed to somebody who's kind, like somebody who genuinely is coming from that place where it doesn't matter. Um, they're, they're focused on that person's care. They're vested there. Um, so I think words they're, they're subtle, um, for me passion functionally and people could define it however they want, I've choose to define passion as something that lights me up and that, and it doesn't require like people think maybe you only can have one passion or one purpose or you have one faded purpose in life. Um, that's not what I choose to believe because again these are choices not what's true. it's what I choose what I choose to believe that serves me. And for me, I have lots of different passions. And so, and, and I think passion comes from, from novelty. I think everyone should try everything a few times. Like, and we've talked about this before, once to, you know, get over the fear of something, you know, another do it again, to try to get decent at it, do it again and see if you like it or not, because maybe it doesn't light you up. I think a lot of people who say they're burnt out, when you really dialogue with them, they're not really burnt out because they're doing too much. They're burnt out because they're doing too little of the things that light them up. The things that they're passionate mm-hmm. about really and so you know whether your passion is chess <laughs> you know or if it happens to to be video games or it happens to be writing i think we could have multiple passions like one of my so passion for me is what lights me up purpose is how i could use that passion to light somebody else up so my i have a passion for learning and my purpose is teaching other people how to learn and so that's how i have i reconciled the two um, I don't think you have to take your passions and necessarily turn it into your purpose because I have lots of passions, but I don't necessarily want to make it my purpose in life. Um, and I also don't think we have one just set purpose in life. You know, my dominant purpose, you know, when it comes to my career is building better, brighter brains, no brain left behind, you know, and that, that really, that drives me as part of my purpose when it comes to the formula P times E times S3, that even when I was lacking sleep because I had very severe sleep apnea, which I talk about in the book, where I was sleep, sleeping like 90 minutes a night and, you know, and then traveling, flying on, you know, going all intercontinents and sleeping. When you're a memory expert and you wake up and you don't realize what city you're in, then, then there's an issue. Um, and right. so, you know, that, but that drove me to do, you know, even back in school, it, it drove me to study all that time, you know, put in extra, because I was so clear on my purpose to make my parents proud. You know, that that was my right or for wrong, that was where that was my purpose. And so I think that you could have multiple passions. And when you're, let's say, if you're parenting, you know, I would say, like, give your kids a breath of experience and see where, you know, their attention goes, right? Give them enough novelty and stimulus to see what grabs their interest. And then I think that passion really is built, um, just like in a relationship that you don't. You know you you date and you give yourself novelty and you see where your heart kind of or your mind goes, right? And then you build that relationship. I think same thing with with passion. I get you give yourself enough novelty and see what you feel drawn to. and um and it's who's to decide what's right or for or what's wrong. You could have one passion. you could have you know twenty different passions. you know,
0: so what about what about purpose? Like what would be a
1: good kind of exercise, or how do I play around with? Purpose. So purpose for me again is taking something that I'm passionate about and then turning it into a way of serving. And so for me, I found it through my passion is public speaking, my passion is learning. I take a bunch of my passions. My passion now is a little bit with storytelling. I wrap some of my as many of my passions together for the for one singular purpose that I'm now I'm not saying you can't have more than it's context dependent. Like in my career, my purpose is to build better brains right? But I also have a purpose in terms of me as, as a, as a intimate partner, right? And, and you know, and, and, and making, and lighting her up, right? What lights me up and what lights her up? What, what for my, you know, being a, a, a son of immigrant parents, like I have a have a purpose, you know, in terms of family. So I think purpose could be context dependent. Now, I feel like it'd be, it's amazing if you could take something you're great at, your power, right? And, have something that is uh, also something you can make profitable, you know, in terms of business, and and something that you are passionate and purposeful around. Because then it's not, then it's like it's an ultimate hat trick, right? Because then you're 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 good at it, and you enjoy it, and you can make it profitable, and see. I, I if I make the Venn diagram around passion, power, and profit, I feel like that would be something. Cause then I would think in my mind, I'm just talking out loud about this with you, yeah. that let's say if you're passionate about something and you're powerful at it, you're good at it, but you can't make it profitable. That that's kind of tough to make, you know, that, that
0: it, it's sort of like, um, you know, like we, we last hung out before this, we were, we were watching Game right. of Thrones. And that obviously, so a TV show is something that many people were very passionate about. You could be powerful because you could know every detail yeah. and all the little Easter eggs and so on in there and the script details and the behind the scenes. But it's probably hard it's about it. to, uh, to make your passion in Game of Thrones profitable. Yeah, um, it's probably not impossible, by the way. Exactly. But it's hard.
1: And then some people do, you know, they created like these online, like, you know, sh- after buzz kind of conversations. They, yeah. they, they got joint venture partners. I mean, everything is, is possible there. But then that sweet spot, that would be a great purpose for me. But then you could have you could be powerful at something and it could be a profitable business, but you're not passionate about it. And you don't enjoy it. It doesn't light you up that I don't know how sustainable that is. That's like going to something that you're good at oh, and it's horrible. profitable, but you're not, you're not happy about it. Or you can have something you're passionate about and it could be profitable, but you're not good at it. <laughs> and you know, you don't have the power, but then that's where skill development and your study and deep work come into place. But I think where all that comes together, if you could turn that into a purpose, where you know it's your passion, it's your that's what I've done, right? I I made I have my passion about learning, and I've gotten really good about learning, and I made it into a business that's profitable, and so that I that that's that fills me up for for my purpose. So I don't have to be like pushed.
0: So so, <laughs> Jim, quick, uh, I, I always learn so much from you, and also uh, every time we talk, I know uh, the downloads go through the roof because there's there's so much people are learning. From the master of learning, uh, Jim Quick, it's like you're this this brain superhero, and in fact, that's why you've been uh, coached to so many uh, Hollywood superheroes. You know, you, you've worked with all the X Men actors, Stan Lee, you mentioned on this podcast, Will Smith. But you know, you're, there's so many great quotes and and blurbs in your book from everybody ranging from, you know, Simon Sinek, who you mentioned, to uh, Maria Shriver, Beth Comstock, who was the former vice chairman of GE. Uh, so much praise for the book, but the book is limitless. Upgrade your brain, learn anything faster, and unlock your exceptional life. And I will say, this is such an important thing in today's day and age, where I think that we're going to start to blur the distinction between certification, like getting a degree, and actual skills, where you actually have the, the skills to 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 do something. And I think employers. Or investors, or whatever, they were always looking at degrees in the past as a good filter to kind of shortcut making a decision about who to hire or who to invest in or whatever. But I think you're not—they're not, not going to be able to do that anymore. You know, the role of colleges is is changing, and and the role of validation and, and degrees or and certification is changing. I think people are going to have to demonstrate actual skill, and 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 you have to build the meta skills to learn skills, and that's what this this book is so great at, and what you've always been great at. So limitless by Jim Quick, such a great book. Such an honor once again to talk to you, Jim. I always learn so much, and uh, you, you have to you have to keep coming back on the podcast. I, don't ever don't ever lose. I need track you. Of I us. need to
1: have you actually on my show too. So I want to thank you for this and. People get people ask about where to get the book. They could go to limitlessbook.com and we have some, so many great we have a book club that's free and everything that comes with your your purchase of the book because I want this to be the most read book that you you have on your shelf and the most applied book. And so I'm gonna do everything I can to help you to, to apply the book, remember the book, use the book. And it's kind of like you remember like the Lord of the Rings where it's like one ring that rules them all. This is yeah, the, this is the this is the one book. That will help you learn them all you you read this book and help you learn every other book past this better.
0: I, I believe it. And this is a, this is again, this is an important topic now. Like I'm seeing more and more um, kind of people talking about this issue. Like, how can I learn something really fast? I mean, even in just in the Instagram live, I just did. People were asking this question, well, if i'm forty five and I was just laid off, how do I mm-hmm. is it too late for me to learn any skill? And the reality is it isn't. as you show in this book, limitless, that, it really is possible, no matter what your age, no matter what your circumstances. In most cases, it's possible to learn these skills that you thought you couldn't. And it's through these sort of meta learning techniques and uh, absorbing them. And it really, it really is a shortcut—not a shortcut, but it really is to- are tools for learning just about anything. And it, it's so important right now in this society. I think. It's got your book coming out at the perfect time. Yeah, I think time.
1: knowledge is power. Learning is our superpower. And it's the if there was a genie that could grant you any one wish, but one wish, you would ask for infinite wishes. And if I was your learning genie, I could grant you any one learning wish to help you become a master at any one subject or skill. What would the equivalent be of asking for infinite wishes? What skill or subject? It'd be learning how to learn. Because if you can learn how to learn, you can grant your own wishes. You could apply it towards management, money, marketing, Mandarin, martial arts, music, everything in your life gets
0: sweeter. Did you just, did you just, you realize you just said all M words? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I like You're so good with like consonants, alliteration, exactly. uh, uh, mnemonics, and uh, uh, acronyms, rhyming. <laughs> You have all these like uh, techniques to make things uh, f- just flow yeah, in the brain. You know, it's interesting
1: because uh, it's like uh, when you read it, you're going on an adventure, and it's not only teaching you accelerated learning. It's set up and structured in a way that you learn it faster, also as well. And there's two bonus chapters also when you go to limitlessbook.com and, and order it there. I give you a, I give you a chapter a digital chapter on limitless for parents to help your kids apply this model towards your kids and education. So great for teachers and parents and limitless for teams, how to build, how to apply this limitless model towards a collective culture, a learning organization, whether you have three people. I'm
0: going to have to check out. I have, I have five kids and five teenagers, so it'll be, it'll be interesting. I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to learn that because I haven't been following it. Probably. but, uh, I challenge everybody who's listening
1: but, to take a screenshot of this episode, tag James, tag myself at Jim Quick on social media, and post your big aha. And I'll actually gift out a signed copy of this book to to one person. But I believe when you teach something, you get to learn it better. And so take a screenshot, tag James, tag myself, so we see it. I'll repost some, like I always do, but then share your what's a big takeaway. You know, if there's one idea you got out of this, maybe share it with your your friends, and your followers so they can benefit also as well.
0: Well, Jim, thanks so much. And the book is called Limitless. Let me read the subtitle again because I always mess it up. Limitless, Upgrade Your Brain, Learn Anything Faster, and Unlock Your Exceptional Life by Jim Quick, forward by Mark Hyman, MD. And of course, Will Smith at the top saying, Jim Quick knows how to get the maximum out of me as a human being. (laughs) That's great that you got that. Uh, Well, Jim, once again, thanks so much. I really appreciate it, and and good luck. Thanks, buddy. Life is a highway,
1: and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one McCrispie, so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.